Well, amen. You know, I was thinking when Chris made that comment, and I was thinking about a kicker, and this is not part of the sermon, but I was just thinking about a kicker. You know, a kicker practices kicking field goals all the time, but sometimes when they get in the middle of the big game, they miss the field goal. And I think how many times kickers really just beat themselves up because they miss one kick, and they get so many right. So, uh, Chris, you're right. We all make mistakes, and I'm thankful for God's grace, and I know you are as well. Um, you know, I want you to turn with me this morning uh, to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to look at one verse this morning. And, you know, in just a few weeks, we're going to be celebrating our 130th church anniversary. And our theme is from generation to generation. And, you know, a church really will last from generation to generation if it's built on the solid foundation of Christ. And so we're talking about generation to generation. And this morning, we're talking about the very next generation. The next generation. You know, whenever I was a teenager and I would go to Camp Pine Hill like some of you did, on one particular time, I was just a child, we had what was called the Rickenbacker Relay Race. And they don't have it very often. I think this was a special event. And I knew I was going to be running the Rickenbacker Relay Race and I was a little nervous. And, you know, I knew that there are several things that are essential in a relay race. Number one, you have to be ready when your turn comes. You need to be ready to receive that baton when it gets to you. And then when you get that baton, you have to run with everything you've got till you get to the next leg. And then you have to successfully hand off that baton to the next runner in line. And so when it was time for me to run the Rickenbacker relay race, I was nervous and I was running against a guy who was older than I was, bigger than I was, and certainly could talk a better game than I could. And so he was telling me how bad he was going to beat me, and I was nervous. And I thought, you know, I just want to keep my team in the game as long as I can. And so I was ready, and I, was, I wanted to run with everything I had. And when that Rickenbacker relay race started, we were watching them come down the road, and those two runners were neck and neck. And I knew it was going to be a close race when they got to us. I thought, when I get that baton, I've got to run as hard as I can, as strong as I can, just to at least not get too far behind in the race. And whenever that baton came, we made that smooth transition, and I took off and I ran with everything I had. I never saw the other guy. And when I got to my end of my leg, I made sure, I wanted to make sure I didn't drop the baton in the critical moment. Because to winning the race, it was essential that we made the smooth transition from one runner to the next. You know, I was thinking, if, if a church like ours is going to survive from one generation to the next, we have got to successfully pass the baton of faith to the next generation. And that's one of the things that we really need to do. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul was telling his young protege, Timothy, he said, I need you to be faithful to, to, to pass the baton of faith successfully. You need to pass the baton of faith to others who can also pass the baton of faith to others. And so we pass on the baton of faith to the next generation. And the way we do that is by discipling the next generation. We disciple each other. That's what we do. You know, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you. So Jesus has commanded you. He's commanded me to make disciples, to pass the faith, our faith on to the next generation. But the problem comes when we drop the baton. You know, the United States men's track team has always been a favorite in the Olympics. They've always had good runners, strong runners. 
but the U.S. men's track team have also had some problems when it came to passing the baton. In 41 Olympic appearances, the U.S. men's track team has finished first or second 27 times. But 13 times out of that 41 times, they were disqualified because they failed to pass the baton correctly. In 2008, in the Olympics in Beijing, the Americans were really poised to win the Olympic gold. They had the best runners. They had great runners. In fact, when the relay race began, Darvis Patton approached uh, Tyson Gay, the next runner in line. He was leading the pack. The U.S. were soundly in front. But when it came time to pass the baton, they could not make the transition smoothly, and in the process, they dropped the baton. And at the same time, they dropped their chances of winning the Olympic gold. You know, you can have great runners and still lose. You know, we can have great members at First Baptist Church and not pass the baton of faith. We can drop it at the critical moment. We have to pass the baton of faith effectively. We cannot drop the baton. And so the way we pass the baton from one generation to the next is to make sure that we have discipled them correctly, that we have discipled them well. You know, a healthy church disciples the next generation so that it can disciple the next generation. That's what a healthy church does, isn't it? We disciple. A healthy church makes disciples who makes disciples. A healthy church reproduces itself. Tony Evans defined discipleship like this. He said, discipleship is that developmental process that progressively brings Christians from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity so that they are able to reproduce the process with someone else. That's discipleship. Discipleship helps you grow from being a baby Christian to being a spiritually mature Christian. But, you know, the, the goal is not just for your spiritual maturity. The goal of your spiritual growth is so that you can help others to grow in their journey as well. That's what this is all about. Now, we've been emphasizing a lot of things about our church. You know, our church's mission statement says what? I, I bet you know it right off the top, right? Our church's mission statement, we, we post it on everything. And everybody knows it, right? It's, it's inspiring people to become authentic followers of Jesus Christ. You know, at the very heartbeat of that statement is discipleship. It's making disciples who will make disciples. You know, uh, if you were to go back and look at our church covenant, maybe you haven't seen our church covenant, but if you haven't, you want to look at it. If you go right into our foyer, it's hanging right in the middle wall. And then there's another uh, board here in the hallway, right outside the choir room, has our core values and our church covenant. But in our church covenant, when you become a member of First Baptist, this is what you commit to. It says, we commit to make participation in the worship and discipleship ministries of the church a priority for our lives. It also says, we commit to lifelong discipleship and spiritual growth, which involves private, family, and corporate Bible study and prayer. So we commit to being involved in the discipleship ministries of First Baptist because we know that that's a priority. And when you com uh, commit to being a part of First Baptist, you commit to being a part of our discipleship ministries, which includes your quiet times, your personal quiet times, your family devotions. It includes our corporate Bible study and corporate worship. That's what all these discipleship ministries entail. 
And then if you were to look at our core values, the things that we value at First Baptist Church, we value discipleship that develops authentic followers of Jesus and equips believers to give an articulate defense of their Christian faith. We value ministry that equips the family to fulfill God's design purpose. So it's all about discipleship. We value discipleship at First Baptist. It's our life's blood. It's our mission. It's our ministry. And so when you become part of First Baptist, you commit to being a disciple and you commit to making disciples. That's what your job is. That's what your goal is. So in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, the Apostle Paul speaks to his young protege Timothy and he tells them, tells him how to reproduce himself. How to reproduce. He's really giving him the spiritual birds and bees of of uh, spiritual reproduction. You know, anytime people start hearing about the birds and the bees, everybody gets a little anxious, a little nervous, especially if you're a parent. Well, I heard a, 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 about a young boy who went to his dad one day. He said, hey, dad, where did I come from? His dad kind of got sweaty and got nervous. He said, well, you know, I guess it is time for him to learn about the birds and the bees. And so he said, well, son, he said, it's kind of like this. You know, he said, when, when a, a man and woman love each other, they get married, and, and then they express you know, their, their love to one another. And he talked about how you know, children are conceived and how children are born. And he went through all this process, and his son's eyes just got bigger and bigger as he told that story. Got wider and wider. And then when he got done, and the dad was finally finished telling him about the birds and the bees, he kind of took a deep breath, and his son said, wow, that's awesome. He said, that's a lot better than what Billy told me. He said, Billy said he was from Columbia, South Carolina. (laughs) But when Paul told Timothy, the spiritual birds and bees in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he was telling him how to reproduce. And let's look at that verse together. In 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul said, And the things that you have heard from me, among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men, who will be able to teach others also. So I'm going to give you a few things about this verse. Number one, if we're going to pass the baton of faith to the next generation, then it is relational. It's going to be a relational endeavor. It it requires a relationship. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, and the things which you heard from me. Paul had a relationship with Jesus that he shared with Timothy. It was all relational. In, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, Timothy said to, to, uh, to, to Timothy when he wrote, he said, you're my son in the faith. Now, he wasn't his biological son. He was his spiritual son in the faith. He had discipled him. He had taught him the truths of Scripture. And so uh, Paul had a relationship with Timothy. But before Paul had a relationship with Timothy. He had a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, there's a day in Paul's life when he was on his way to Damascus going to go persecute Christians. You remember the story. He's on the Damascus Road, and all of a sudden a light shines down from heaven, and Jesus' voice says to Paul, why are you persecuting me, the, the church? And Paul says, well, who are you? Lord, and all of a sudden he has a life change and and there's a salvation moment in Paul's life. But let me just say this, when you get saved, you start a life of discipleship. Salvation brings discipleship in its its mix. And that's what happened in the life of, of Paul. He became a disciple of Christ. Now, I don't know when you got saved. I don't know your story. And maybe you're here this morning and you're not saved. Maybe you don't have that conversion experience in your life yet. And you're still outside of Christ. I'll let you know this. Everybody will not be saved, but Jesus will save anybody. Anybody who wants to be saved can be saved. Jesus will save you. But with salvation comes discipleship. 
When you get saved, you become a learner of Christ. You become a disciple of Christ. He begins to teach you. But I want to let you know this. I don't want to mislead you. To be a disciple of Christ is costly. To be a disciple of Christ comes with cost. It comes with some demands. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You know, Jesus didn't put his demands, he didn't put the cost in fine print. He put them in big, bold letters. If you want to be my disciple, this is what it takes. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Do you know how hard it is to deny yourself? It's hard to deny yourself. If you don't believe that, pull up at a Krispy Kreme donut shop with the hot now sign on and see how hard it is to deny yourself. How many of you have ever opened up a bag of Lay's potato chips and realized you really can't eat just one? It is hard to deny ourselves. You know, the number one God in America is self. Self. I mean, we're taught to love ourselves. We're taught to have self-worth and to have self-esteem. We're taught to be self-aware, to be self-confident, to be self-improved, to be self-motivated. We're taught to be self-made. You know, uh, uh, Winston Churchill was the prime minister of the United Kingdom during World War II, and it was told that a, a young corporal came to him one day and and he said to Winston Churchill, he said, I just want you to know I'm a self-made man. And Winston Churchill kind of looked over his glasses. He said, well, young man, you have just relieved God of an awful responsibility. Thank God he was a self-made man and not a God-made man. You, you, cannot des- you, know, you cannot deny yourself until you have actually crucified self first. And so Jesus said, deny yourself and take up your cross. Someone used to say, in every man's life, there is a throne. If if self is on the throne, then Christ is on the cross. If Christ is on the throne, then self is on the cross. In every heart, there is a throne. Now, some people think of a cross as something that you tattoo on your body or something that you wear around your neck as a charm. Some people think that their cross is their mother-in-law. Some people think that their cross is some aggravating boss that they have to put up with day in and day out. But the cross, when Jesus referred to that, was an instrument of death. It was an instrument of execution. And that's the way they understood the Roman cross. And Jesus was saying, if you're going to be my disciple, you must walk the hill of Calvary and die to self. That's what it means. And that's why Paul said in Galatians 2.2, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be my disciple, you have to choose. Who are you going to let live? Are you going to let him live through you and die to self? Or are you going to live for self? You have to choose. And Jesus said you cannot uh, live in Christ if you're going to live for self. And so it's costly to be a disciple. And did you know when you're a disciple of Christ, it could cost you your reputation? Did you know that? It could. Do you know why we baptize people publicly in front of everybody? 
Because when Jesus died for you on Calvary's cross, he died for you publicly. He was stripped naked and crucified, humiliated before all people to see. And whenever you choose to follow Christ, you cannot be a closet Christian. You have to do it publicly. It is a public profession whenever you're baptized. In Luke chapter 9, verse 26, Jesus made this statement. For whoever is ashamed of me, in my words, of him, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. To be a follower of Christ might cost you your reputation. To be a follower of Christ might cost you some relationships. You know, Jesus made a statement that was kind of strange. In Matthew 10, 37, he says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. What is he saying? Your love for him has to be supreme. Your love for him must be preeminent in your life if you're going to be his follower. Whenever Kathy and I were dating, I remember having this conversation with her. I said, now, I need you to know something up front. Whatever God tells me to do, I am going to do it, whatever that means. And I don't know what that means. But whatever he tells me to do, I'm going to do it. I just need to give you that disclosure up front. Somebody asked me later, well, what did she say? I said, well, we got married. She understood that I was going to try to do everything I could to obey him when when he tells me to do something. You have to have a first love. And it cannot be your spouse, cannot be your parents, and it cannot be your children. You have got to have a first love, and his name is Jesus, if you're going to be his disciple. And to be a follower of Christ, it might cost you some riches. You know, I think about uh, Peter and Andrew. They were fishermen. That was their business. And one day Jesus came up and he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And the Bible says they immediately left their nets and followed Jesus. They left their vocation to follow Jesus. And then I think about another man who was a kind of wealthy man. His name was Matthew. He was a tax collector. You understand why he was a wealthy man. Matthew was a tax collector. And one day Jesus walked by and said, follow me. And Matthew left his business and followed Jesus. Now, I'm not saying to you this morning that Jesus is going to tell you to leave your vocation. But what if he did? Would you? What if he called you out of the vocation that you're in into another realm of service? In fact, your vocation is really just the way that you supply or, or provide for your ministry, which is to make disciples. But what if God called you out of it? Would you be willing to give it up to follow Christ? Is there anything you wouldn't give up to follow Christ? Now, passing the baton begins with your relationship with Christ. Passing the baton means that you first must be a follower of Christ. You cannot pass what you do not possess. And so you need to be a disciple of Christ. You need to have a relationship with him. The second thing I want you to notice is if we're going to pass the baton to the next generation is it must be intentional. It must be relational, but it must be intentional. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says, and the things which you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul said, now, Timothy, all these things you've heard from me, all these things you've learned from me, you commit them to faithful men. You be intentional, not just anybody, but to faithful men. Now, that word commit is an interesting word. The Greek word, it really means it was used in the Greco-Roman world as a banking term. And what it meant was, it's like making a deposit or uh, giving someone a trust 
and where you put them in charge of a trust for you to make sure that it's used correctly. It'd be like going over to the bank and you make a deposit. You don't want to go back the next day and they say, what deposit? You want them to guard what you have given to them for safekeeping. And that's what this term means. And so Paul says you commit what you have been given to faithful men. Not foolish men, but faithful men. Not floundering men, but faithful men. You know, there's some people who are just so busy, so distracted with life, they don't have time to be discipled. They don't have time to grow in Christ. They just let everything else crowd out the most important things in their lives. If Jesus rose from the dead, what else is more important than that? And some people are so busy, they just don't have time. I remember a few years ago, I was trying to mentor this young man. He was, a, he was just a leader. He was charismatic. He was enthusiastic. He had energy. He was a leader. People followed him. And I was trying to invest in him some spiritual treasure, some spiritual knowledge. And I was spending time with him. And, I, and for two years, I tried to do that. And I realized, you know, he's not interested. He's, he's not interested. He's not a faithful man. He's not interested in the things that I'm trying to impart to him. And so one day I just told him, I said, listen, you are a leader and people are following you, but you better be careful where you're leading them because you might be leading them to hell. And that's exactly what I told him. Some of you may remember a man by the name of Chris Farley who was an actor. Chris Farley uh, followed the example of another man named John Belushi. And you might remember John Belushi. He was a a Saturday Night Live star, right? He's a comedian. And then later he advanced and began to star in movies. That was John Belushi. Chris Farley, he, 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 he followed in his footsteps almost verbatim. He started out on Saturday Night Live and he was a comedian and he was funny. And then he moved on into movies and he became a star. Well, you might know the story of John Belushi. And John Belushi struggled with his weight. Well, Chris Farley struggled with his weight. You might remember that John Belushi was known for a party lifestyle. And at the age of 33, he died from an overdose. Well, maybe you know about Chris Farley. He traveled the same path. And one night after a late night of partying, he was found dead at the age of 33. He had followed in the footsteps of John Belushi. He was a disciple of John Belushi. And when you are a disciple maker, you are leading people to a destination, one way or the other. And so I told that young man, you are making disciples. What kind of disciple are you making? And to my knowledge, that man has never advanced in the faith. To my knowledge, he's still an unfaithful man. Now Paul told Timothy, you have been given a great treasure. You have been given the word of God. You have been given the gospel of salvation. You have been given the faith. You have been trusted. God has entrusted you with these special treasures. And then he said, be intentional where you deposit them. God's given you, he's given me, some spiritual treasure. Would you agree with that? God's given us his Holy Spirit. God has given us his eternal word that we can read anytime we choose. God has given us a a church like this to be a part of. God has given us uh, the gospel of salvation. He's given us a relationship with him. Now, I know some people here this morning, they might just be new believers. You're just learning what it means to be a follower of Christ. And you're like a, a, a new babe in Christ. And, you know, we don't really expect new babes to know everything. And we get excited about uh, all the babies in our church, don't we? I mean, we love seeing all the babies, and everybody loves holding them and, you know, uh, being enamored by them. And, you know, a new believer brings that kind of energy to a church as well. And we're excited to have new believers at First Baptist. And we can help them to grow. 
And so they bring energy and excitement, just like a, all these babies do to our church. And so we don't expect newborns to know everything. And that, you know what? That's nothing to be embarrassed about, is it? No. It's nothing to be embarrassed about if you don't know everything. That's what we're supposed to do is to help you to learn and grow. We're to disciple you. The problem is when you've been a believer for 50 years and you're still having to drink out of the bottle. That's the problem. And we want you to grow in Christ. Now, we all start out as spiritual infants having to learn what it means to be a follower of Christ. And if you're just growing in the faith, you need to be intentional about growing in the faith. You need to be a part of the things that are taking place in our church, like the worship service, like our connect groups at 915, like our small groups on Sunday night, like our Wednesday night Bible study. You need to be involved in the things that help you grow. You need to be intentional. And if you're a, if you're a mature follower of Christ and God has entrusted those spiritual treasures to you, you need to be passing the baton. You need to be involved. You need to be intentional about sharing them with others. And I want to ask you a question this morning. Has God given you some spiritual treasures? Has God deposited in you the baton of faith? What are you doing with that baton? Are you wasting it? Or are you sharing it? Are you entrusting that faith, that word to other people who can teach others? You know, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, there are four generations of Christians. There's Paul, there's Timothy, there's faithful men, and then there are others. Four generations of faithful men passing the baton from one generation to the next. You know, yesterday morning, Kathy was watching QVC, which was kind of a nice change from HGTV. She was watching QVC and and only there was a guy, he was, he was trying to sell a video game called Pac-Man. How many of you remember the video game Pac-Man? Okay, you remember it. And he was saying, you know, my children are fourth generation Pac-Man players. And I thought, wow, he's, he's excited about being a fourth generation Pac-Man player. I thought, you know, some people get more excited about passing on a heritage of playing a video game than they do about their heritage of Christ. And so... I want you to hear what Jesus says about what's expected of us who he's entrusted with this spiritual knowledge. In Luke 12, 48, Jesus makes this statement. And I wish we could deal with that whole passage, but he says this. For everyone to whom much is given, of him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. What does that mean? God has an expectation of us. To whom much is given, of us much is required. That, that verse sobers me. To whom much is given, much shall be required. And God has entrusted you and me with the treasure of faith, the treasure of his word, the treasure of the gospel. Are we depositing that treasure? Are we hoarding it? What are we doing with it? Let me move on. Passing the baton to the next generation is relational. It's intentional, but it's also instructional. In 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul says, The things that you have heard from me among many witnesses. Paul had taught Timothy. Now, to be a disciple means that you're a learner. Some of us want to be disciples, learners, but we don't want to be apostles. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to be apostles like they were in the New Testament. I'm not saying we're going to be one of the 12 apostles. But to be a disciple, by definition, means that you are a learner. These 12 men who were disciples of Jesus were his learners, his students. They were with him every day. They watched him minister. They watched him do miracles. They heard his messages. They got a first-class education. Wouldn't you agree with that? They received the best instruction 
They were his learners, his disciples. But you know, after three years of that discipleship, something changed. They no longer were called the 12 disciples. They were called the 12 apostles. A change happened. An apostle, by definition, is one who is sent out with a message. That's what it means. Jesus had sent them out with a message. That's what it means to be an apostle. It's an ambassador, one who carries the message of someone else to to other people. And so what happens in us, sometimes we want to be lifelong disciples and nobody wants to be an apostle. Nobody wants to be a teacher. They just want to be the receiver. And God has called us to be teachers of the gospel, not just receivers. And Timothy was taught by Paul. Paul instructed Timothy. Whenever Paul would go on a missionary journey, he took Timothy along with him so he could be there to learn as part of the journey. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, Paul told Timothy, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me. Hold fast that pattern of sound words. In 2 Timothy 3.14, he says, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them. He received instruction. Paul gave Timothy theological instruction. He taught him the doctrines of the faith. We need to know the doctrines of the faith. But you know, he also gave Timothy some practical instruction. He taught him how to apply the doctrines of the faith. For example, you can go back and read First and Second Timothy. He gave him some practical instruction. He taught him how to deal with difficult people in the church. He told Timothy what qualifications to look for when they were appointing deacons and pastors. He told him how to deal with false teachers. He told him how to treat an older man and an older widow. All that's in, the, in his letters to Timothy. He was instructing him. And you know, when you pass the baton of faith, you give people theological truths, but you also teach them practical truths of how that looks like in real life. Some of you might say, well, you know, I really just don't feel like I have the ability, ability to do that. I'm still learning. I don't really know enough to really impart it to other people. I heard the story of a college student who was having trouble retaining the things that he was learning. He went to his professor one day. He said, professor, he said, I'm having trouble. He said, I, I study, I read, you know, I do my work. He said, but I can't retain all that I'm learning. And I just, I just can't, can't keep a grasp on it. He said, do you think I need to hire a tutor? His professor said, you don't need a tutor and you don't need a teacher. You need a student. You need somebody to teach. Because if you really want to solidify something in your heart, you teach it. You share it with other people. You know, very quickly, I'll just share this. Kathy, you know, with her disease, she's fallen a lot over the years. And I've had to have her sewn up, stitched up so many times through the years. Well, Dr. Frill and Dr. Fitzgibbon have had the pleasure of doing that a lot of times. Well, on one particular day, Dr. Frill said, well, you know, you've seen enough of these now. You should be doing your own. (laughs) He said, in medical school, it was like this. You see one, you do one, you teach one. And that's what What's happening here? If you want to learn something, you need to teach it. And you'll learn it. The reason some of you are not growing is because you're not sharing what you've been learning. And when you share with others what God's teaching you, you begin to gain a better understanding of it. And so you teach it. You share it. If you want a better understanding of Scripture, you ought to teach Connect Group. You ought to lead a small group. If you want to gain a grasp of Scripture, you ought to teach it. You know, some people in our church have had more Bible studies than I had seminary courses. What are you doing with what you've been learning? Are you 
passing it along. You need to share with others what God's been teaching you. And there's a lot of ways you can do that. You can tell your you know, parents, you can teach your children those truths. You can teach a colleague, co-worker, students. You can share what God's doing with you to other fellow students. You know, I think about some seasoned deacons. We've got some younger deacons on our deacon uh, uh, body. You know, if you're a seasoned deacon, you know what you ought to do? You ought to say, hey, can I find a younger deacon that I can kind of mentor? Teach him how to minister to the body of Christ. Show him how to, to, to be a wise steward of the things that God's put in his trust. You just take him alongside. Take him alongside when you go for a visit. I want you to turn over to Titus chapter 2 for just a moment. Just a t- couple pages over. Titus chapter 2. Paul said, you know, older men ought to be teaching younger men and older women ought to be teaching younger women. Some older people say, well, you know, I just can't do what I used to. As you get older, things don't work like they used to anymore. One older person said, we know when you get older, things don't work right like, uh, like they should. And if it's not stopped up, it's leaking. I don't know what that means. But sometimes you might not be able to do things you used to do, but there's some things you might be able to do. And in Titus chapter 2, Paul said that older people ought to disciple younger people. In verse 3, he says, instruct the older women that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. And then verse 4, that they admonish, that they teach, that they train, that they disciple the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, to be good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Some of you older women have gone through some things that that you've learned some things through, and you need to share that with some younger people who are on the verge or either going through it at that moment. They need some counsel and comfort. And they could benefit from your wisdom. And then in Titus chapter 2, verse 6, Paul said, For the older men, you exhort the young men to be sober-minded, in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, Sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say. You know, some young men need from, from, need from some older men. They need to know how to be the spiritual head of their home. And they need to learn that. They need to know how to avoid the pitfalls of a seductress woman, how to avoid a, a moral failure. They need to know how to, to live uncorrupted in this tainted world. That's what young men need from older men. And some of you older people might need to come along some younger people and say, hey, I've been down the road that you're going down. And I can tell you where some of the curves are, where some of the pitfalls are, the traps, the problems. If we're going to pass the baton, it's instructional. When you pass the baton of faith, it's relational. You must be in a relationship with Jesus. When you pass the baton, it's intentional. You need to look for opportunities to be discipled and to disciple others. When you are passing the baton, it's instructional. You pass along the theological and practical truths of Scripture. I'll give you one last point. It must be demonstrable. In other words, it must be demonstrated. It must be lived out. It's not just what you say, but what you do. Some of you are in the medical field, and you went through your training. You went to to college or whatever university you went to, and you got your, your practical, I mean, your, um, I guess you'd say your instructional training. They taught you all about the medicine and the biology and all those types of things. And when you got done with your coursework, what did you have to do? You had to do your clinicals. 
You had to go actually put into practice what you had learned intellectually. And that's what happens. We need to see it in practice and then be able to do it. So you had the heads, heads on and the hands on training. It needs to be demonstrated. And if you're going to pass the baton of faith, it won't be just by your words. It must be by demonstration. Think about what Paul said about example. I'm going to give you about four verses real quick where Paul talked about the importance of example. In Titus chapter 2, verse 7, we just read it. In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, and incorruptibility. In 1 Corinthians 4, 16, Paul told those Corinthian believers, imitate me. And then later in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Can you say that? Imitate me. Example. Philippians 3.17, and we're studying that in connect groups. He said, brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have for us a pattern. And a demonstration an example. And then he says in Philippians 4, 9, the things which you have learned, the things which you have received, the things which you have reheard, and the things that you saw in me, these do. It's about example. Edgar Guest was a poet. He kind of summed up the need for demonstration. I'll just read to you just briefly some of his statements. He said the I is a better pupil and more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but example is always clear. And the best of all the preachers are men who live their creeds, for to see good put into action is what everybody needs. I soon can learn to do it if you'll let me see it done. I can watch your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run. And the lecture you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lesson by observing what you do. For I might misunderstand you and the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. You know, debated whether or not I would share this with you. I think I will. So after my dad's funeral, I received a letter in the mail. And I'll just share with you just a few statements from this letter. This person wrote me. He said, I didn't know your dad very well, but I believe I benefited greatly. From the way he raised his sons. He said, I remember when I first joined the youth group in Mount Calvary, I could have never imagined how the Lord had has used and grown our relationship. You and Kathy have been a constant encouragement for me and my family. There are so many conversations and questions I still remember vividly 15 and 20 years later. And I share, as he said, as I share thoughts and advice with others, I still hear much of your wisdom coming out of my own mouth. He said, in listening to you describe your dad and his service, it was easy for me to make the connection on how he lived his life and how much of that rubbed off on his children. He said, I am one of many who experienced the benefit from your dad. He said, it excites me that my children 
where we'll receive the blessings of those teachings from generation to generation. You are passing the baton to the next generation. So maybe you're here this morning and you've got the baton of faith, but maybe you've not been sharing it. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not really making disciples and God's called you to make disciples. Maybe you need to make a commitment to say, I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a disciple maker. I'm going to learn what it takes. Or maybe you are making disciples and maybe you need to ask, what kind of disciples am I making? And you know, Jesus said, when a disciple is perfectly trained, he will be like his teacher. Or maybe this morning, you're just a new Christian and you're learning to disciple. Or you're learning to, what it means to be a disciple. Maybe you just need to say, God, I want to commit. I want to be intentional about growing in my faith. Or maybe you're here this morning and you don't even have a relationship with Christ. The most important decision you're going to make is going to be today. What you do with Christ. It will not be what you fill your stomach with. It will be how you deal with your soul. And so today you get an opportunity to choose Christ. Maybe that needs to be your commitment. And so right now as we enter our time of invitation, I want to invite you to respond how God leads you. And this altar is open for you just to come and say, God, I'm going to commit. Sometimes we just need to put feet to our commitments. Let's pray together. So, Lord, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge. Thank you for the encouragement that we get from your word. I want to thank you for giving us such a spiritual treasure that you've entrusted to us. Now, Lord, as a church, um, we have been given that treasure. It has been passed down. And, Lord, now it's time for us to also pass it down to the next generation. Lord, we just pray you help us to be faithful stewards of what you put into our care. Help us to be disciple makers, teachers, instructors, demonstrators, examples, patterns for other people to follow. Lord, I thank you for people like Paul who gave this a young Timothy that kind of encouragement that he needed at a critical moment in his life. And Lord, we're here now because we're at a critical moment in our lives. Lord, I pray for somebody who might not even be saved today that you would lead them to you, that you draw them to yourself and do that today. We just pray for you to work in their hearts. And so, Lord, as we come to this invitation, we just ask you to help us to be surrendered, submitted, to respond to you however we need to. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing this morning? You respond how the Lord leads you.